Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Dr. Lissy Hu, founder and CEO of CarePort, about how aggregating COVID-19 data has helped improve patient care. And now, on to the interview. Hi, this is Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. I'm joined today by Dr. Lissy Hu, CEO and founder of CarePort Health. Welcome. Thanks, Jay. It's good to be here. Good to have you. And I guess uh, to start off, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about CarePort and what you do. Sure. Uh, So I am the CEO and founder of CarePort, which is a technology company that connects hospitals with what we call post-hospital care providers. So think about providers such as nursing homes, home health agencies, dialysis providers, uh, hospice, really all of the needs that patients have after coming out of a hospital. And we've taken what traditionally has been a very manual process where there's a lot of phone calls, faxes, lots of back and forth between between post-hospital care providers and hospitals, and made that into an electronic process where we have Uh, a a platform that they're both on, that they can communicate, coordinate care uh, that's integrated into the electronic health records and streamlines that that, that transition. And you've been doing a a fair amount of uh, analysis of data involving nursing homes and sort of how they've been dealing with the COVID pandemic. What have have you found? That's right. Uh, So Our platform is fairly at scale, and so we have over 1,000 hospitals connected, 100,000 post-acute providers connected. We took a sample of of our post-acute providers and and ran analyses on the the patients that we were seeing uh, developing COVID in the nursing homes across hundreds of nursing homes, thousands of patients. Our data set's pretty broad. And we were finding back in, you know, our analysis started even back in March and April uh, in in the New York area. And we were finding that these huge spikes in COVID infections in the nursing homes, it it was almost perfectly aligned with the, the spikes in the community. And so we actually worked with a Harvard group on a paper would show that th- what's happening in the community in terms of COVID spread has a big impact in terms of what's happening in nursing homes because the, 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 the theory, which I think has been borne out, is that when uh, the way that COVID gets into nursing homes is through, uh, through community spread. And obviously, you know, we've kind of seen you know some some pretty horrific examples of of what can happen in that kind of contained space um, when COVID gets in there, um, and and it seems like it's starting to to ramp up again. Um, what you know, I guess obviously you said it mirrors the community, but what you know, how are uh, these these post acute uh, facilities dealing uh, this time around as the numbers start going back up again? Yeah. It's it's a tough position for these nursing homes. Um, I think sometimes people are surprised by the dual role that nursing homes play in in American society. Um, it's impossible to completely shut down nursing homes 
a nursing home because they play this dual role where on the one hand, they are residential places for long-term patients who are there, um, the elderly, the vulnerable, uh, and, and, and these are, these are their homes. Nursing homes also though function as short-term rehabilitative, uh, providers of care. So after a hip replacement or a knee replacement or a fall or injury, they are places where people go to recover before they can go home home. Um, and so they are an important part of the care continuum. We need, we need nursing homes to, um, to, to be able to take patients that are coming out of the hospitals. And even for COVID-19 patients where because of their long hospital stays, they become deconditioned. Uh, the most common place for a, a patient to be discharged that, that needs services is to a nursing home. It's about a quarter of recovering COVID-19 patients will end up at a, at a nursing home for recovery. So that's a long way of saying that as the pandemic has progressed uh, from, from the spring through the summer, one of the things that, that nursing homes have had to really think about very carefully is how do I safely care for my residents while at the same time play this crucial role uh, as, as the recovery places for uh, and, and, uh, and, and part of that care continuum for the hospitals that we work with in the community. So that's been one of the, I think, tricky parts mm-hmm. um, about being a nursing home over these last couple of months. Um, and, and how, uh, I guess, you know, obviously you've got this, you know, uh, this data that you've been tracking, you know, how are uh, these facilities using that data to kind of do a better job of taking care of, I guess, both those recovering COVID patients and the rest of the patients in their facility? So one of the things that that has been very important, I would say, um, in terms of data uh, is is the need for both hospitals and nursing homes to share data. And I think people say, for example, interoperability is is a good thing. And um, and I think we would all agree that that's important for patient safety, that's important for quality of care. Um, And what we've seen with COVID-19 is that that has really come to be critical. Interoperability has has really become critical in in this environment. So just to give you one example in terms of the importance of of data and sharing that data um, and something that we help facilitate is even something as simple as where can a recovery COVID-19 patients go to, to, to rehabilitate, which places have isolation rooms, which nursing homes have the capacity and staffing to care for recovering COVID-19 patients. Um, those are some of the things that are very difficult to, to, to figure out because, you know, you're, you're really relying on phone calls and, 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 and faxes. And, um, and it's not easy to, to figure it out because some places, some nursing homes require two negative tests. Other places require two negative tests and for you to be afebrile, right? So, uh, and, and on top of that, there's all the usual problems of what insurance do you have and, um, 
you know, you're not just going there for COVID, but you may also need dialysis. So which providers can 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 also take care of your dialysis needs? Which nursing homes you know are able to provide dialysis on site? And so what we've done, for example, in our, our platform, even back in March and April, when we saw that we ran our data and we saw that a very, very low percentage of facilities were able to take COVID patients. It was something like single digits. Um, were able to actually care for recovering COVID patients. We put together in our module the different criteria that was needed so that um, hospitals could search for care and that the nursing homes could enter in their, you know, their requisite criteria to, to safely take these patients. And, um, and now when a hospital searches for nursing homes, they can find which ones can take COVID patients, which one, what the criteria is. And those are the things that I think you you look at the data to to streamline um, the transition, not just from an efficiency perspective, but really from a patient safety perspective. Because as we all know, these these care transitions are where uh, where there's a lot of vulnerability for uh, for for quality of care gaps to occur. Yeah, and how have you seen the data change over you know? The months since uh, the spring, we've seen an increase in uh, in facilities that are willing and able to care for, for example, recovering COVID patients. Um, we've also seen that uh, that uh, the the hospitals and the post acute care providers are working together and sharing this data more and more. So what I initially described as, for example, some of that uh, screening criteria or admission criteria um, and the sharing of, of the admission criteria to even figure out which places could go from the hospital, which patients could go from the hospital into the nursing home, um, that has expanded. So for example, uh, just to give you a very specific example, uh, sometimes patients need two negative tests before you can take them out of an isolation room. Um, and these isolation rooms, they consume PPE, personal, you know, they consume mm-hmm. PPE, they, they have an increased staffing ratio. And, um, and so you really only want to keep a patient in the, in there at a nursing home if they really need to be in there. And so now, for example, what we're doing is we're sharing test results so that hospitals can discharge a patient who has one, uh, one negative test, one COVID negative test, uh, and then when that second negative test comes, we will push that directly from the hospital to the to the nursing home so they can take the patient out of that isolation room. So it's a so you know one of the things I always talk about with my team is we want to do analyses and we want to look at trends, but what what data is actually actionable? And how can you get that data into the hands of the people who can actually action on it so that you're actually changing care? And in this case, even being able to share something like testing, that has a lot of benefit, not just for the patient in terms of keeping them safe and keeping the rest of the residents safe, but you know, has an, has an operational impact on, on, on the nursing home so that they can clear those rooms. And then that has a positive impact for the hospital that's referring the patient so that they can get their next COVID patient into that nursing home that needs it. Um, and with nursing homes, I imagine that uh, there's probably been a lot of focus on staffing as well, because those folks are, you know, obviously they have to be tested and they're dealing with, right. you know, uh, 
crazier conditions than they probably were ever used to. Um, you know, how, you know, how does that, uh, how is that handled, I guess, from a, uh, you know, from the facility standpoint, are they able to get, um, more help for people? Or are they kind of strapped right now, um, financially? How is that working with, for them? That's, uh, that's a really great observation. You know, I think people talk a lot about the staffing needs and the PPE needs of hospitals and probably there's less dialogue on the nursing home side, but those needs are just as important. Um, and, um, and nursing homes, as you know, take care of, of, of vulnerable populations where, uh, where there's a, a quite a sus bit of susceptibility to, to COVID-19 in terms of severe uh, disease. And one, of the, and one of the things that CMS has done, um, interestingly enough, over the last couple months is when, when we saw the impact of, of um, how many deaths were occurring in nursing homes in the spring, what they started to do was require that all nursing homes start to submit data to them in terms of uh, things like testing, things like uh, staffing, adequacy. And what we see is, is that since May, when the first data was, was collected, um, and this is another data set that we've analyzed over time, um, skilled nursing facilities definitely have fewer resource, resource challenges related to, to supplies. So they have more, they have less, they're reporting less shortages of mm. surgical masks and eye protection and gowns and gloves and hand sanitizer. But staffing, if anything, those needs have actually increased over time. So the last numbers that I saw at the beginning of November as compared to the end of May was that, you know, something like uh, almost 20% of nursing homes are reporting licensed nurse shortages versus 15% in the spring. And so it's been interesting and, and worrisome, I would say, to see that the staffing shortages really have not improved and if, if, and if anything have gotten worse as compared to um, where the progress that we've seen on the supply side. Right. Cause there was already a shortage before the pandemic, correct? I mean, it was, there, right. you know, I think at all levels, but especially probably, you know, at the, at the post-acute level, it's, you know, I'm sure it's a challenge just to get, to get qualified people, you know, in the building. So uh, I imagine after, uh, you know, nine, 10 months of, uh, of, uh, you know, of this, uh, COVID, uh, you know, sort of stress, it's gotta be, you know, difficult to keep people, uh, you know, keep morale up and obviously keep people healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the staff are equally as important as the supplies, right? So you, you need both. I mean, I'm glad that there are more supplies now to ensure that um, the safety of the staff, but um, the staffing shortages have have persisted and worsened. Um, from the the post-acute standpoint, have, have you seen, you know, looking at your data, have you seen a second surge? I mean, obviously we've been hearing about it in acute care facilities. Um, what are nursing homes dealing with now at this point of the pandemic? Unfortunately, we've seen uh, cases rise in nursing homes. It, you know, it, it very much parallels what's happening in the community, which is what we saw in, in March and April as well. 
And so I do think we are seeing a second wave uh, in nursing homes, just like we're seeing that in the community. Um, how much of an impact will, you know, having a vaccine have, I mean, obviously they're, they're sort of, I guess, at the time we're talking, um, trying to determine, you know, who's going to be, who's going to receive it first, you know, talking about um, frontline uh, healthcare workers and, you know, probably the most sick people, but, um, you know, how, how much, you know, will that help, you know, in the coming months in terms of uh, sort of, I guess, calming things down? I think folks are, are in the nursing home industry are very optimistic about a vaccine. And I would say that based on my conversations, certainly the, the healthcare workers will uh, need to be prioritized first. Uh, but right after that, I think a lot of folks are talking about nursing home long-term care residents because of their unique vulnerability. And, um, and what's been interesting about the vaccines, too, is that they had specifically trials uh, run for not just the general population, but the, the, the 65, 75-plus population. And, uh, and the vaccines showed promise even in, in, in the older populations. And so those are some of the data points that people have heard and looked at that, that make them excited about the ability to vaccinate um, their patient populations and, and, and keep them safe as well as their staff. Uh, there are, of course, as you know, so much talk about distribution mm. and production and uh, how do you even prioritize within nursing home uh, residents? Will you have to prior? There will have to be some prioritization in terms of um, in terms of who gets it first, or if any of if, if any of the uh, nursing homes will get any as part of the first batch. But overall, those details and those are important details. But those details aside, I think there's a, there's a lot of optimism just because folks have seen how vul how uniquely vulnerable this population is to COVID nineteen. And um, what are some of the sort of overarching lessons learned that you're sort of taking away from, um, you know, from the last 10, 11 months and your analysis of, of the whole situation? I think in a lot of ways, what we've seen in terms of, in terms of the takeaways has been probably similar to, to to what people have been saying about about the pandemic in general that it's it's an accelerator of trends that were already occurring um, and we've seen that even in the space of of these last couple of months in terms of the relationship between hospitals and post-acute providers what we've seen is a lot more of partnering between hospitals and post-acute providers between hospitals and nursing homes uh, because there's a realization to both that 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 there's an interdependency there for for hospitals to not be overwhelmed, they need a release valve. They need to make sure that these nursing homes are up and running and that can safely transition these patients. Um, and so we've seen that there's a lot more willingness to share data, to work together. I think that the hospitals and and, and nursing homes who are already together have. Have and have who had built that trust um, and who were already sharing data. I think many of them came into the uh, into into the pandemic at an at an advantage, 
And, um, and I think that over the last couple of months, as we've seen, um, as we've seen surges in the hospitals, as well as, as, as in the nursing homes, on both sides, there's been a realization that we need to be able to work together better. And we need the infrastructure in terms of data sharing, in terms of interoperability to support each other. Because really, at the end of the day, why should transferring a patient from the hospital to a nursing home be any different than transferring a patient from the the ICU to 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 um, to one of the general units, right? It should be that seamless, and um, and right now it's not. And so, I think as people have seen just how dependent that they are, uh, there's been a lot more of a push to okay, how how can we work together and how can we share data better? Why do you think that um, you know sort of that disparity uh, exists with sort of you know the transfer of care to you know, to post acute, it seems, it's, it definitely seems like, you know, obviously there's a huge focus on acute care, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, but, the, you know, what this crisis is, I think, bringing out is that, you know, we kind of, you know, ignore people when they, you know, get to, uh, you know, a nursing home or, or a similar kind of facility. Uh, why, do, why do you think that's happened? And uh, do, you, do you see that changing now? I, I do see that changing. I think for a long time, Healthcare, as you know, has been very siloed. Um, I think that the electronic systems are different in terms of the, the health records that, that hospitals use versus the electronic health record that the nursing homes use. They they have different reimbursement models. Uh, they have different staffing. Um, and so I think that, uh, that under a fee-for-service world, there wasn't as much um, probably motivation or incentives in place uh, for collaboration. And as we've seen the rise of readmissions, bundled payments, ACOs, um, and now COVID-19, where there has been this disruption and where there has been much more of a recognition of, of interdependency, those are, I think, some of the larger trends that even before COVID was pushing um, nursing homes and, and hospitals to, to work together. But, but it won't happen overnight. It certainly has not happened overnight. And um, it's been a trend. And I think it's going to be a trend that continues to accelerate, especially as, you know, beyond COVID-19, what we see is the aging of the U.S. population, mm-hmm. you know, with 10,000 uh, people turning 85 every single day or 65 every day. Um, and, you know, looking beyond um, the coronavirus, um, do you see as a result of, you know, once everybody kind of, you know, has a chance to sort of, you know, do their analysis and sort of look at, you know, the overall state of post-acute care during this crisis, do you see uh, increased oversight coming for uh, for these facilities? I think that there will be, more of a focus on, for example, how we pay and um, our, 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 our healthcare workers in nursing homes and, and how do we make sure that there's enough. Um, I think reimbursement for nursing homes, people are saying, it, are, are, we, are we reimbursing them the right way? And 
um, and what changes around reimbursement need to happen so that um, so that they can they can they can adequately care for uh, the vulnerable patients in, in these patient populations. I think people are 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 asking themselves what type of interoperability requirements um, from a regulatory standpoint are needed. And so I think a lot of this will happen um, piecemeal, um, but I do think that there overall will be a lot more focus on uh, on nursing homes, both from CMS and a regulatory standpoint, but even from payers uh, yeah. that that are um, that are responsible for their members. All right. Well, Dr. Hua, thank you so much for uh, talking to me today. This has really uh, been uh, illuminating and um, Hopefully, you know this thing. Uh, this thing will end soon, and uh, you know we can look uh, look forward to uh, to uh, better things to talk about. But obviously, uh, this has been really important work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jay. And that wraps up episode 20 of PSQH the podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes on the show's page on psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.